0: Welcome to the Leading Men Podcast. I'm your host, James Haley. This podcast is dedicated to helping Christian men become better leaders at home and in the church. This week's guest is Reverend Steve Manscar, the director of Wesleyan Leadership with Discipleship Ministries in the United Methodist Church. We will discuss covenant discipleship, a powerful tool for helping make disciples and keeping men accountable for their personal growth. Although Steve will speak from a Methodist perspective, I believe this model can be adapted for other denominations. Leading Men is a listener supported podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, you can help us in a number of ways. First, you can subscribe for free on iTunes and give us a five star review. Your reviews will help us with visibility and help us reach more men. Second, you can share this podcast with your friends, family, and men's group. Finally, you can provide a donation on our website at leadingmennow.com/slash/donate. My favorite resource for the week is the article, The Epidemic of Bible Illiteracy in Our Churches by Ed Stetzer from ChurchLeaders.com. According to Stetzer, a recent Lifeway Research study found only 45% of those who regularly attend church read the Bible more than once a week. Almost one in five churchgoers say they never read the Bible. The article also provides some ways to combat this negative trend. A link to this article will be posted in our show notes on our website at leadingmennow.com. Right now, I'd like to welcome to the show Mr. Reverend Steve Manscar. Hi, Steve. Welcome to the show. Hi, James. I want to talk to you today about covenant discipleship. Can you just tell me what is covenant discipleship?
1: Uh, Covenant Discipleship is a ministry of, for, for congregations to form leaders in discipleship, uh, to help the congregation uh, live, do its mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Um, it has its origins in the early Methodist class meeting. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's basically, uh, there are two parts to it. The first part, and that's what pe- most people are familiar with are covenant discipleship groups, which are small groups. they are, uh, five, ideally five to seven members. Um, they meet weekly for one hour and, The agenda for that meeting is a covenant that they write that's shaped by what we call the general rule of discipleship, which is to witness to Jesus Christ in the world and to follow his teachings through acts of compassion, justice, worship, and devotion under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So a group will take that general rule and then they write a covenant that basically says what they're all willing and able to do to live out this general rule, to follow Jesus in the world, to be, be witnesses to him, and to practice what John Wesley called the means of grace. To, you know, so, basically, and what, so what happens over time is you form new habits um, by practicing these means of grace, of acts of Compassion, which is um, acts of kindness to someone, you know, your neighbor, um, any someone you meet on the street who's in need, um, a neighbor who needs some help. With, um, you meet, you know, like, one thing I do. In fact, I did it this week because I help deliver Meals on Wheels once, once or twice a month um, to people in a low-income high-rise here in Nashville. Um, so acts of compassion is that, that, that personal um, way of loving your neighbor as yourself, um, whereas acts of justice are is the social dimension of that, is what we do together as people of faith, as Christians, working with other Christians, other organizations and institutions, um, congregations, to address um, why our neighbor, why we have hungry people on the streets of our cities. Why do we have homeless people? Why don't we have affordable housing? Or, you know, uh, Addressing issues like racism, violence, crime. You know, what we can do to make the world a better place, you know, to make it look more like the kingdom of God, you know, to be agents of the kingdom of God, in the world, um, to be working with Christ and what, you know, with what he is, you know, wants us to do and what he's already out there doing and acts of justice is us going out there and joining him. Um, and then, so that's how we love our neighbor as ourselves, love who God loves. Um, and then we participate in our personal relationship with God through acts of devotion, uh, those are the, the personal, those, those practices that we do alone with God, like reading our Bibles, um, personal private prayer, prayer time together with God. Um, maybe some people keep a journal. Um, fasting, that was a really important practice of Wesley and the early Methodists. Um, and it, you know, it can be for us today as well. Um, so those are some examples of acts of devotion. Um, so that's again the personal dimension of loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and that's balanced with the social um, aspect of loving God through acts of worship. Which is that's worship is what we do together with other Christians, whether it's in a, a small group or in You know the Sunday morning congregation in a in a church um, to come into God's presence to offer ourselves in service to God through um, prayer, praise, song, confession, sacrament, um, reading and hearing Scripture, um, hearing the Word proclaimed. You know all these acts of worship that we do together. also contribute to forming us as uh, disciples of Jesus Christ and into the pe- the persons God created us to be in the image of Christ. So there's that that twofold. You know, um, so the, the the general rule of discipleship and covenant discipleship groups. One thing that that one part of the genius of that is it um, encourages and provides the means. For for the people who are ready to be accountable for their discipleship, to be balanced in their discipleship, you know, and practicing both the works of mercy—that's what; those are the acts of compassion and acts of justice, loving who God loves, loving our neighbor as ourselves, and the works of piety, loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind and strength. Um, so the the weekly accountability. And, you know, helps us to be mindful of what we need to be doing, what I need to be doing as a disciple of Jesus Christ, um, to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ and to do what Jesus did, what he taught his disciples to do. Um, and when I know that I'm, you know, my group actually met this morning at 730. So I show up every week to give an account of how I'm doing. And. Um, my brothers in my group do the same thing. We do that for each other. We're, we're accountable to each other. And part of our accountability is we pray for each other. We support each other in helping each other be the best, most dependable disciples that we can be. So that's the first part, is these covenant discipleship groups. And so th- those are for the people in the congregation who are ready to be accountable for their discipleship, who feel who are drawn to a more intentional, uh, say a more disciplined um, Christian life. Um, And out of the groups, then because the prime the biggest the purpose of the groups is to form those leaders in discipleship that the congregation needs to do its mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world and in order to do that congregations need disciples who can disciple others and that's that's really the heart of methodism um, is that those lay people who are formed as leaders in discipleship disciples who disciple others they you know in the early days of methodism for the first 100 150 years they were those people were formed in the what those small groups that they had to attend called class meetings. I know, are you familiar with the, that history?
0: I've heard uh, a little bit about it. Okay.
1: Well, in, in the early days of Method, you know, f- f- at least since 1743, uh, when really the class meeting became required of all Methodists, um, all Methodists were required to meet in that with their class once a week. And the, and when you, the classes that I'm talking about is not what we typically think about when we think of a class. It's not you're not showing up with a something to study, and to get a lecture from a teacher. That's that's not what the class meeting was. The class meeting was um, a group of anywhere from 12 to 15 Methodists who met. For an hour, hour and a half every week. They had to show up every week. And they were led by what I call a seasoned disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, typically, most often it was a man, but there were also female class leaders. And that's what they were called, was class leaders. Um, and it was the class leader that was, they, they led these people in discipleship through example. They were were simply lay people who had had been on the road with Jesus longer than the people in their class, typically. Um, They had some experience, and either John or Charles Wesley or one of the Methodist preachers had seen something in that person, those leaders, that showed that they could be trusted with the care of souls. That they were disciples who would disciple others. Um, so what happened in a class meeting was the class leader would begin the meeting with prayer, and then he would give his account of the and the question. There was one question in the class meeting, and it was, and you probably heard this question: "Is how is it with your soul?" Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, in the 18th century, the way they said that was, how does your soul prosper? And what shaped the way people got, you know, answered that question was how they were following the general rules, how they were living the Christian life shaped by the Methodist rule of life, which we know as the general rules and, you know, you know, do no harm. By avoiding evil, by doing good to all as often as you can, you know, by to their bodies and to their souls, and Wesley, get, you know, gives examples of how to what to do to, to do to do good, and then the third is by attending upon all the ordinances of God, and those that's the works of piety, you know, the public worship of God, the ministry of the Word, um, the Lord's Supper. Um, private and family prayer, searching the scriptures, and fasting or abstinence. So these were the basic practices that Methodists were expected to incorporate into their daily lives. Um, So the class meeting, they would answer the question, how is it with your soul, by sharing with the class, particularly your class leader, how you did with living the Christian life, with doing no harm, doing good, and practicing those works of piety, those means of grace. Um, And then after each person gave their account of how they did, then the class leader would maybe, would probably have some questions, might ask some questions, might offer some advice, some correction, um... And then they would pray for that person, and then they would sing a stanza or two of a hymn, and then they'd move on to the next person. And it was a very simple process, and the focus was on forming habits um, shaped by the means of grace. Um, And it's in that formation of those habits of loving God, loving your neighbor, um, is how they loved one another. You know, that's the third that, that's that new commandment that Jesus gave in John 13. That's how Methodists loved one another, is they, they watched over each other in love, and they helped each other become dependable disciples of Jesus Christ. And some of them became disciples who discipled others. Um, so that's where covenant discipleship comes from. And it, its goal of covenant discipleship is to form those class leaders for today. Um, and once a congregation introduces, is get, you know, after they've had covenant discipleship groups for at least two years, then they introduce class leaders. They recruit people from the covenant discipleship groups um, to serve in the office of class leader. Um, and you know, usually if you've been in a group for a couple of years and, and it's important that you know about the ministry of the class leader from the beginning so that your heart is open to that. So that when your pastor comes to you and say, James, I really see in you, I, you know, that I know that you've been in your covenant discipleship group now for a couple of years. And I see in you that. I think you could make a really good class leader for us, for this congregation, and I'd like you to pray about that. Um, and then you could, you know, you know I, what I expect what might happen is that after praying about it, that you would sense a call from God to say, yeah, I think I want to do that. Um, and then there would there need to be a little more discernment with you and the, the committee on, uh, what is it, lay leadership. Nominations and lay leadership with the pastor. And if everybody agrees that, yeah, James is is called to, to this ministry, then you would be commissioned by the congregation. And there's an order of for commissioning of class leaders in our book of worship. Um, and once you're commissioned, then you would be given, you know, and of course, people would need to volunteer to be a class for you. Um, and, and the class today is not a class meeting, um, rather it's a what I call a missional grouping of the congregation of anywhere from 15 to 20 members of the congregation with whom you have a relationship. You as their class leader would be their coach. Because that, that's really how cla- what class leader how they function, is that they're, they're discipleship coaches. So you would walk alongside and with and help the members of your class to live the Christian life shaped by the general rule of discipleship, to witness to Jesus Christ in the world, and to follow his teachings through acts of compassion, justice, worship, and devotion under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So to do that, you would simply, you know, first there, there need to be an introductory meeting that takes about half an hour to, to sort of initiate that relationship, sort of help them understand what your role is in the relationship, that you're there to be a coach, to help that person to be more intentional about living as a disciple of Jesus Christ and forming the habits of discipleship that are shaped by the general rule and then you just simply you know maybe once a month or a couple times a month give them a phone call, check in with them, visit them Um, and you know today we have all this social media that we can use you know things like Facebook and Twitter and Skype and um, that you can easily be in contact with people. Um, to, to provide that support and help with living the Christian life shaped by the general rule of discipleship. Um, then I, all, So you, that's your relationship with the members of your class. You disciple those folks. Um, and then once a month, you and the other class meet, leaders would meet with the pastor. Um, and the purpose of that meeting is for you to give the just give a report to the pastor of how it's going with the people in your you know you don't break any confidences or anything but you simply help the pastor know how it's going with you and with the members of your class, um, and then the pastor can pro- also can provide you know he or she it's important that they provide some support, encouragement for the class leaders. If there's, if they see a need for some kind of training and like maybe listening skills, um, things like that, the the pastor can provide that um, to the class meeting, class leaders. But that main meeting purpose of that monthly meeting with the pastor is support, encouragement, and also for the pastor, the pastor then gets to we'll have a better understanding of how it's going in the congregation, because the pastor, you know, this acknowledges that the pastor can't do all of the discipling for the whole congregation, that the pastor needs to work in partnership with the lay people that God has already placed in that congregation who has called to the ministry of discipling. Um, And so when, when, when pastors work as partners in ministry with a group of class leaders, then the congregation is much more faithful to their mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ, and they do a better job of keeping the promises that they make in the baptismal covenant. Because um, one thing I always tell people in my congregations when I not congregations my workshops. Um, when we're talking about class leaders, is that because I know in, in the congregations that I pastored before I joined the staff at Discipleship Ministries in Nashville, they were you know, small to mid-sized congregations. And I very strongly got the message that they, the, particularly the leaders of the congregation and most of the members, saw me as the person who was responsible for discipling them that the pastor is the professional Christian, right. and it's his or her job to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not the way it works. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and we, we know that because of w- the way Jesus worked. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about it, Jesus himself only discipled maybe 20 people. Right. You know, there's the 12 named apostles, and there were also some women in that group, and probably some other people that weren't, that you know, that aren't named in the scriptures. Well, right. so let's say Jesus himself discipled 20, maybe 24 people. How can you expect any pastor to do better than Jesus? Exactly. Right? Right. The way Jesus discipled people is he discipled those 12 or those 20. And their relationship with him equipped them to disciple 20, 30, 40 more, right? Right. And then the people that they discipled, discipled more people. That's how the Christian movement spread. Um, And that's, I think, something that we've lost, particularly since Methodism abandoned the class meeting over a hundred years ago. Um, So, and I'm going to wrap this up here. (laughs) The, The goal of, Really, the goal of covenant discipleship is to retradition the class meeting, or the you know class meeting and class leaders for the church of the 21st century, because you know particularly with our mission being to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, this is the method. what, what I've just described is the method of Methodism. I'm going to stop there because I'm doing a lot of probably a lot more talking. <laughs> oh,
0: no, it was great. It was a wonderful lesson about this conversation and a wonderful history lesson as well. But as listening to you, I was thinking, you know, covenant discipleship, covenant groups—they're an awesome way to make make disciples. I'm just thinking, why isn't this more prevalent in our churches today? Why aren't we seeing more of this in our churches?
1: Um well there's a few reasons. One the biggest reason probably is because it's hard. It's 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 not easy. Um and it's also in some ways countercultural to the dominant culture of the church. Um because the typical churches what they're looking for is programs. Um We tend to be a more program-driven denomination with program-centered congregations. And what I mean by programs is, um, well, one of the best programs that the publishing house has ever produced is Disciple Bible Study, um, which is 34 weeks. You know, it's 34 weeks. At the end of 34 weeks, then what do you do? People go and take another disciple class. Um, other programs will run anywhere from four, six to eight weeks, sometimes twelve weeks, and then they're done, and they, then they move on to something else. And so we've we've trained people to thinking that small groups are all about curriculum and programs. Um, And we've also bought into the notion that being a disciple of Jesus Christ is more about what we believe than what we do. Um, In other words... We believe that if we give people lots, you know, good information and teaching about scripture and theology, um, history, discipleship, that they then will become disciples. Well, in actuality, what happens is we end up with a lot with people who know a lot more about the Bible and discipleship and theology, but their lives have not been changed. They're just better informed. Right. Right? Right. And what Wesley understood and what Jesus certainly understood is that you don't change people's hearts by teaching them information, by giving them information or giving them a book to read. You change people's hearts by changing their behavior. Um, the, the way there's um, an author that I recommend whose latest book is, I think, really important that every United Methodist leader needs to know, read, is You Become What You Love. And his name is James K.A. Smith. And the, the subtitle of the book is The Spiritual Power of Habit. And what Smith argues in the book, and I and, I'm, and and he's right. You know, the more I read this book, the more I realized that yeah, this makes and what, this is what Wesley did. That we are we we the way he puts it, you become what you love more than what you believe or think. So we the way he says, we are creatures of desire. We're not innately thinking. You know, we are certainly thinking creatures. You know, we are, because we have really big brains. And, um, but thinking and teaching isn't what gets to the heart. The way you get to people's hearts is through Giving them habits, forming their habits. And that's what Wesley did with the general rules and the class meeting. You know, in the early days of Methodism, when people wanted to become a Methodist, they, they didn't have to be a Christian. They just had to want to be a Christian. You know, the way it's expressed in the general rules is the, the only requirement for joining our societies is a desire to to be saved from your sins and to flee from the wrath to come, period. And the other thing is a willingness to show up at your class meeting once a week. Mm -hmm. Um, And the promise of the Methodists to anyone who entered the society was if you're not a Christian now, you will be in time. And and what they did was they didn't put people in a class with a book to read and study or a program um, to go through with curriculum and information. What the Methodists did was they put you in a small group with other Christians. And they gave you a rule of life which told you what to do, how to live as a Christian by doing no harm, by avoiding evil of every kind, especially that which is generally practiced. So stop drinking,
0: <laughs>
1: stop abusing your kids, you know, try being kind to your neighbor. Finding ways to serve your neighbor, do good. Look for opportunities for doing good, and then do it. And then you need to be spending time with God. You need to be, you know, go to go to worship at your parish church. Go to the Lord's table as often as you can. Receive the sacrament as frequently as possible. Um, Participate in, you know, start reading a Bible. Be you know a Bible, join a Bible study. Of course, they didn't do that in the Methodist societies, you know, but they certainly read the Bible, and they heard the Bible being preached and taught. Um, pray alone with God, and pray with your your spouse and your children. Pray with the members of your family, and fast or abstain. Um, so. They started, the the way people were formed, and, and this is where the vast majority of those Methodists came to faith in Christ, was in the relationships that were formed and the discipline of the class meeting. And it's that, that's the, you know, when Wesley talks about discipline, that's what he means, is being in relationships with other Christians and being accountable to them for living the Christian life. And that is, well, it's foreign to the culture of the typical congregation today. That kind of accountability and expectation um, and leading people in forming ha- what, you know, what I remember, I don't know, did, well, you, you probably, you're in Memphis, so you knew, um, did you know um, Bishop Ken Carter?
0: I know the name, but I didn't know him.
1: Well, yeah, he was the bishop here when I arrived in Nashville back in 1999. Um, And I'll never forget a sermon that he gave here in Nashville at an event that we did where he talked about what I'm talking about now. is What Methodism is all about is giving people holy habits, teaching holy habits. And for Methodism, that's what small groups were all about is helping people form holy habits. The small group, and and that's, you know, part of the, a big part of church culture today is when people think and hear about small groups, the first thing they think about is curriculum. Or what book are you reading? Um, and all of that, you know, that that's good. You know, I have no problem with us. You know, you know we need to be reading and studying and, But when we limit small group um, to to just curriculum and study and discussion without any expectation of forming habits, then we're missing the boat in terms of making disciples of Jesus Christ. We end up with really well-informed Christians who know a lot about a lot of stuff, but whose lives... Don't look any different than their um, unchurched neighbors right
0: right okay All right. sounds exciting. I'm convinced now how do I start a covenant group
1: um well there's well i i actually I have a new book coming out <laughs> <laughs> in July, and I encourage you to get that book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm not kidding about that, but, um, the quickly, the, how, how do you get it started is first you need to be, you need to work with your pastor. This needs to, it needs to be part of the ministry of your congregation because it's not going to, you know, it'll, if it's just for you, you'll have a really good experience with the people in your group, but it's not going to have any impact on your congregation. So you need to work with the leadership of your congregation to introduce this to to the congregation. And and if you're if you want to be part, you know, you need to be part of the that pilot the pilot groups. And maybe you can help recruit members for the what we call, excuse me, the pilot groups. Um, So the way you begin is with um, how, how many members of your congregation. What's, what's
0: that's about 200
1: okay so with 200 you probably you'll definitely have enough for at least one pilot group maybe two okay so you start with two, the let's say two pilot groups and so that would be grouped you know maybe 10 people 10 12 people with the pastor the pastor needs to be in one of those pilot groups And the pilot group then, the first thing they need to do is write their covenant. Um, They begin with the general rule of discipleship to witness to Jesus Christ in the world and to follow his teachings through acts of compassion, justice, worship, and devotion under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So they take that general rule and then you write a covenant. That's, and the covenant has three parts. There's a uh, sort of an opening paragraph. It's called a preamble that states the nature and the purpose of the covenant and the, your shared faith in Christ. Um, it's also good to put in there that we will show up every week unless prevented um, to the weekly meetings. Um, and then that's followed by a set of what we call clauses, or you know, the acts of compassion and justice and worship and devotion that everyone is willing and able to to practice and to be accountable for each week. And then there's a simple statement at the end that we call a conclusion. And that, that'll take you at least four, maybe six meetings to get that done so that everybody agrees to us. That's the thing. Everybody needs to agree to everything in that covenant. Then it becomes the group's covenant and once that's done, it becomes then the agenda for the weekly meeting. Um, and each of you then take turns leading that weekly meeting. And the, the, the role of the leader is simply to be you know to open the meeting with prayer, and then you all read that preamble together in unison. and then you go, then you as the leader, always whoever is leading, begins the meeting with his or her account of the first clause and and then you go just simply go around the circle and let everybody else give their account and then you move to the next clause Um, and the leaders job is you might ask questions um... give encouragement you know because you're there to encourage each other not to be judges not to make anybody feel guilty if anybody I know my experience of being in a Covenant Sava group now for over you know nearly 25 years is the only person that ever makes me feel guilty is myself. I've never had anybody, a, a brother or sister in a Covenant Sabaja group who' I felt judged by or that's you know made me feel it, it, when I'm feel you know it's for me neglecting what I know I should be doing and what I promise to do. And that helps in just showing up every week. Helps me get better. Um, so that then the pilot group meets for a year, and during that year, they um, periodically, maybe once a month, give a testimony during worship as to how this experience of weekly accountability is, uh, wh- what it's like, how it's changing me, um, you know, what kind of experience, you know, I'm having. Um, You might then also share your stories with Sunday school classes or maybe with the church council. And then during that pilot year, you plan for a weekend event at the end of the year during which then you're going to open up the groups to the congregation. Um, So you, in that weekend then, you start on Friday night with a, a meal, a congregational meal to which everybody's invited. And at the end of that meal, the pilot members of the pilot group give a brief presentation about covenant discipleship, about the groups, what it is, um, what it isn't, and then invite people who want to learn more to come back on Saturday morning for a maybe two, three-hour, more in-depth workshop that concludes with a 10-minute role play of a group meeting with members of the pilot group. Um, and then the weekend concludes with worship service on Sunday morning that's focused on discipleship, um, that acknowledges the, 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 the pilot group, who they are, um, their covenant, um, and then you invite members of the congregation to um, express their interest in either forming new groups or willing to support the ministry. Um, and then... You collect that information from the congregation, and then from there you form a new group, or maybe two new groups. And members of the pilot group then go into the new groups. So they're, the the pilot group members are sort of like uh, you know what sourdough bread is, mm-hmm. and sour you know how you make sourdough starter is how you make starter s- sourdough. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the members of the uh, pilot group are like the sourdough starter that you add to a lump of dough to make it sourdough. They bring their experience into the group, um, and then you know they'll lead then the group that new group through the covenant writing process, and then they just become a member of the group. Um, so that's basically the process, and then that process is repeated annually. Um, and then from the beginning, you need to be telling people about the ministry of the class leader and that this is our goal is to form these leaders that we need to help the whole congregation do its mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. So then in the second year or maybe the third year, depending on whether, how ready the pastor and the leaders think the congregation is ready, then you introduce class leaders in the second or third or maybe fourth year. Um, And then that's, it's a similar process of introducing the class leaders. You know, first you need to recruit them and commission them and then put it out there for the congregation, for people who want to be, to have a a coach that will help them with their discipleship.
0: Okay. How do I learn a little bit more about, um, covenant discipleship any books webinars anything you recommend for us to read
1: yes well you can uh, go to the discipleship ministries website uh, the url to go to there's a whole page there devoted to covenant discipleship and and i'm going to tell you one of my jobs in the coming weeks is to clean that thing up because there's way too much there's a lot of old stuff there that we need to clean up you know just take down to make it easier to navigate. But there's a ton of information about this at uh, it's a disciple, umcdiscipleship.org. So it's umcdiscipleship.org slash covenant discipleship. All together is one word. So it's umcdiscipleship.org slash covenant discipleship. And that'll take you directly to the Covenant Discipleship Wesleyan Leadership page. And you'll find lots of information there. Um, Another place is my blog, which is WesleyanLeadership.com. And if you go there at WesleyanLeadership.com, there's a tab at the, at the top of the home page. One of the tabs is webinars. I started doing webinars over a year ago. And so last year I did a series of webinars on covenant discipleship. So, you know, I did, I did a webinar on how to introduce this to a congregation um, and how to write a covenant. You know, and so all those links to the recordings of all those webinars are at that page on my blog. Um, and so that's those are two real easy places where you can get more information about Covenant Discipleship online. The other is you can contact me. Um, and my email address is smanskar at umcdiscipleship.org um, And like I said, I've we, in next month, July, I can't believe it's, it's going to be July next month, um, Discipleship Ministries is publishing three new books, because we're publishing new covenant discipleship resources. Um, the first book is my book. It's called Disciples Making Disciples, um, Guide for Covenant Discipleship Groups and Class Leaders. uh, Then there's another book, uh, it's called Everyday Disciples, Covenant Discipleship with Youth by Chris Wilterdink. Uh, Chris works for the Division of Ministry with Young People at Discipleship Ministries. And then the third book is Growing Everyday Disciples, Covenant Discipleship with Children by Melanie Gordon. Susan Gross Close and Ruth, I knew I was going to forget the third author's name <laughs> and I, I, I apologize for that. <laughs> um, so those three books will be published um, next month and, and you can pre-order all of them today at Amazon.com. Um, so those are the new resources that are coming out. And, also, if you want me to come to your church to do a workshop, that's my job. I do that. I'd be happy to come to Memphis. You know, I've, I've been there before. I think, James, you said you were, you were at one of my workshops, weren't you?
0: Yeah, I've been there before.
1: Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I go to local congregations, and I do a one-day workshop on covenant discipleship that's designed to give you everything you need to get started.
0: And this is going to be a national song. Are you restricted to the Tennessee area? No,
1: I go, I, I work for the United Methodist Church. So I go everywhere. Everywhere.
0: Okay. That's good to know. Okay. All right, Steve, it's been wonderful having you. Thank you for taking the time and we will definitely take your notes and put them in our show notes so everybody can read them for those listening in the car and can't write it down. But thank you so much for joining us.
1: Well, thank you, James. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it.
0: That was Steve Manskar, the director of Wesleyan Leadership with Discipleship Ministries in the United Methodist Church. I believe men should lead the way of making more disciples by working with their pastor to bring covenant groups to their churches. Covenant groups can make, make us accountable for being a better disciple as well as making more disciples. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at leading men. Now that's at leading men. Now, and let's continue the conversation with the hashtag leading men. Now, thank you for listening and we will see you next week.